Welcome to the March 24th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll first cover a research article that describes two novel subgroups of adult B-cell ALL with high expression of CDX2 and IDH mutations that are linked to poor prognosis. The second article covers results from Transcend CLL-004, a phase one study of the CAR T-cell therapy Lysocell in patients with relapsed or refractory CLL. We will close with research that provides new insights into how analysis of circulating tumor DNA could inform management of patients with aggressive B-cell lymphomas. Let's start with the article entitled, Two Novel High-Risk Adult B-Cell Acute Lymphoblastic Leukemia Subtypes with High Expression of CDX2 and IDH1 and 2 Mutations by Takahida Yasuda of National Hospital Organization, Nagoya Medical Center in Japan and co-authors. B-Cell ALL is less common in adolescents and young adults, or AYA, and adults than in children, yet carries a worse prognosis. Survival rates are historically in the 30-40% to range for adults as compared to greater than 85% for children. This discrepancy can be explained in part by biological differences over the spectrum of age. Poor prognosis cytogenetic markers such as the Philadelphia chromosome are more common in adults, while favorable outcome cytogenetics such as hyperdiploid ALL are less common. Next-generation sequencing helped identify additional subtypes, such as Philadelphia chromosome-like ALL and AYA and adult populations, and have revealed subsets defined by other aberrations, including DOX4 rearrangement, which has a relatively good prognosis. Despite these advances, many cases of adult ALL remain genetically unclassified, limiting our understanding of risk assessment in these patients. Accordingly, Yasuda and colleagues sought to use genomic profiling techniques to obtain a better understanding of genetic lesions, expression profiles, and clinical features of AYA and adult patients with B-cell ALL. They studied 354 patients between the ages of 15 and 64 with newly diagnosed Philadelphia chromosome-negative ALL, who were enrolled in a series of clinical trials from the Japan Adult Leukemia Study Group between 2002 and 2016. Their analysis included whole transcriptome RNA sequencing, as well as targeted capture RNA and DNA sequencing. On the basis of RNA sequencing, the investigators were able to separate patients into 18 subtypes. The most common was the ZNF384 subtype, accounting for 22.6% of AYA and adult patients, or 73 out of 323 samples subjected to RNA sequencing. They also discovered two small but distinct novel subtypes characterized by either high CDX2 expression or by IDH1 or IDH2 mutations. CDX2 is a homeobox transcription factor. While prior studies have demonstrated the presence of moderate CDX2 expression in some cases of acute leukemias, this is the first study to show that high CDX2 expression defines a specific ALL subgroup. And while IDH1 and 2 mutants are known initiating events in AML and associated with hypermethylation, their role in ALL has been less clear. The CDX2 high group accounted for 3.4%, or 11 of the samples, while the IDH1 and 2 mutated group accounted for 1.9%, or 6 of the samples. 
That's much higher than another recent study by the investigators in a cohort of children with ALL, where only 0.3% had the CDX2 high subtype and none had the IDH mutated subtype. Of note, in the present study of AYA and adults with pH-negative ALL, both the CDX2 high and IDH mutated subtypes were associated with poor survival, with five-year overall survival rates under 40%. That was similar to what was observed in pH-like subtypes, a known poor prognosis group. Furthermore, these two new subtypes conferred inferior survival independent of clinical parameters, according to the investigators. By contrast, subtypes associated with prolonged survival included ZNF384, DUX4, MEF2D, and TCF3PBX1, where the five-year overall survival exceeded 70%. In a commentary, Catherine G. Roberts of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, calls CDX2 and IDH1 and 2, quote, new potential players in ALL. She wrote that the study extends knowledge of the genomic repertoire in ALL. However, Roberts added that significant work is still needed to demonstrate the role of CDX2 and IDH1 and 2 mutations as initiating or founding events in ALL. Furthermore, about 15% of AYA and adult ALL cases in the present study still remained unclassified, pointing toward a need to, quote, push boundaries of genomic technologies and algorithms to uncover all subtype-defining alterations in ALL. For their part, Yasuda and colleagues say the B-cell ALL subtypes defined by high CDX2 expression or IDH1 or 2 mutations can be useful as prognostic factors and help identify high-risk AYA and adult patients. Ultimately, incorporating these two new subtypes into ALL taxonomy could enable not only more precise estimates of prognosis, but also new targeted therapeutic approaches. The next article is entitled Phase 1 Transcend CLL-004 Study of Lysocaptogene Marilusal in Patients with Relapsed Refractory CLL or SLL. The first author is Tanya Siddiqui of City of Hope National Medical Center in Duarte, California, and co-authors. They report Phase 1 dose escalation results, which show that lysocell had manageable toxicity and yielded deep responses, setting the stage for Phase 2 investigation. Over the past decade, we have witnessed a transformation of the therapeutic landscape for chronic lymphocytic leukemia and small lymphocytic lymphoma. In the first-line setting, inhibitors of BTK and BCL2 are being used alone, in combination with one another or in combination with an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody. However, a substantial portion of patients will not mount an adequate response to treatment or will relapse. The prognosis of these patients can be poor, and subsequent treatment options are limited. These include PI3 kinase inhibitors, which are associated with significant adverse events. Allogeneic transplantation is another possible option, but its use is limited due to age and other factors limiting eligibility. Thus, there remain substantial unmet treatment needs in CLL. While the impact of CAR T-cell therapy has been dramatic in patients with relapsed or refractory non-Hodgkin lymphoma, clinical trials of CAR-T therapy in CLL are still considered exploratory. Transcend CLL-004 is the first multicenter trial of autologous CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy in heavily pretreated patients with relapsed or refractory CLL or SLL. The CAR T-cell product is lysocaptogene marilusal, also called lysocell 
which is administered as equal target doses of CD8-positive and CD4-positive CAR T-cells. In the current report, Siddiqui and co-authors describe results from the Phase 1 dose escalation portion of this ongoing Phase 1-2 study. 25 patients were enrolled from January 2018 to January 2019 at eight U.S. sites. The median age was 66 years and 48% were male. All patients had BTK inhibitor failure or exposure. Patients with high-risk disease features such as mutated TP53 or 17P deletion must have had at least two prior therapies. Standard risk patients must have received at least three prior lines of therapy. One patient discontinued the study prior to lysocell infusion due to CNS disease. Manufacture of the lysocell CAR T-cell product was successful in 23 of the remaining 24 patients. Following lymphodepleting chemotherapy, patients received lysocell at either 50 times 10 to the 6th or 100 times 10 to the 6th CAR T-cells as two sequential intravenous infusions. Adverse events were as expected for a CD19 CAR T-cell therapy. Cytokine release syndrome occurred in 74% of patients, but was mostly mild. 9% of patients had grade 3 CRS, and no grade 4 cases were observed. 39% had neurological events, and about half were grade 3 or 4. About half of patients were readmitted for adverse events, including 22% due to CRS or neurological events. There were nine deaths, including seven for progressive disease and two for causes unrelated to lysocell treatment. In 22 patients evaluable for efficacy, the overall response rate was 82% and complete response rate was 45%. The median progression-free survival was 18 months. 20 patients were evaluable for minimal residual disease. 75% achieved undetectable MRD in blood and 65% in marrow. In most cases, undetectable MRD was achieved by the 30-day assessment. Median progression-free survival was not reached in patients with undetectable MRD, versus three months for patients who were MRD positive. Finally, safety and efficacy were similar between the two lysocell dose levels. In an accompanying commentary, Arnon Kater of the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands and Joseph Mellenhorst of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia Say the 82% response rate suggests that CAR T-cells are effective in patients who fail next-generation small-molecule treatments. That most patients achieved undetectable MRD by day 30 implies that the efficacy of the CAR T-cells was highest early after infusion. However, while MRD might serve as a surrogate marker for early responses, its usefulness for clinical decision-making following CAR T-cell therapy is rather limited. This is important for future development. For example, can CAR-T efficacy be improved by the addition of targeted agents if responses are suboptimal? Finally, these authors note that while stable remissions in this study exceed those reported in other CAR T-cell trials for CLL, further follow-up is needed to see if patients will experience a return of disease over time. In summary, the Phase 1 Transcend CLL-004 results demonstrate the successful manufacturing of lysocell in patients with relapsed refractory CLL. Early and deep responses were observed with manageable toxicities, and the phase two portion of the study is underway. The last article is Molecular Features Encoded in the CTDNA Reveal Heterogeneity and Predict Outcome in High-Risk Aggressive B-Cell Lymphoma by Leo Mararanta of the University of Helsinki in Finland and co-authors. 
Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, or DLBCL, is the most common type of large B-cell lymphoma. Among patients with DLBCL receiving RCHOP chemotherapy, about 30 to 40% will progress and have a high risk of mortality. Unfortunately, our ability to risk stratify these patients using biologic and clinical data remains limited, and neither subtype targeted nor risk adapted interventions have proven superior to RCHOP. Moreover, early identification of refractory patients remains inaccurate. Thus, better tools are needed to stratify patients with aggressive B-cell lymphomas. Toward that end, the assessment of circulating tumor DNA, or ctDNA, may have tremendous clinical potential as a liquid biopsy. In previous studies of patients with DLBCL, pretreatment of ctDNA levels were used as a surrogate for tumor burden, while surveillance measurements detected early refractoriness. However, these studies were based on heterogeneous patient cohorts treated with diverse therapies. Here, Mararanta and co-authors evaluated the utility of ctDNA measurement in the context of a clinical trial of lymphoma patients and uniform therapy. They studied 101 patients with high-risk primary large B-cell lymphoma treated with dose-dense immunochemotherapy in the Nordic LBC-005 Phase II trial. This team used a custom capture-based sequencing approach to evaluate disease burden and identify disease-specific mutations in plasma samples. Their analysis of pretreatment ctDNA revealed a hidden heterogeneity that extended beyond diagnostic tissue biopsies. Despite all patients being classified as high-risk DLBCL, there was considerable variation in ctDNA burden. High pretreatment ctDNA levels were associated with high metabolic tumor volume, advanced disease stage, elevated LDH, and bone marrow involvement. High ctDNA levels were also tied to poor outcomes on all measured endpoints, including survival, which was independent of metabolic tumor volume and prognostic indices. This suggests a clinical significance of pretreatment ctDNA measurement over and above what can be achieved through standard clinical risk stratification. During therapy, chemorefractory lymphomas exhibited diverging ctDNA kinetics, and further insights came from evaluation of ctDNA levels at the end of therapy. ctDNA was detectable in 14% of patients with very poor outcomes. Moreover, primary refractory disease was marked by rebounding ctDNA concentration. These findings suggest ctDNA analysis may complement response evaluation in patients with large B-cell lymphomas. Mararanta and co-workers also evaluated fragmentation profiles of the cell-free DNA. Upon its release from apoptotic cells, DNA cleavage can be prevented by nucleosomes, transcription factors, and other DNA-binding proteins. This results in specific fragmentation patterns that reflect chromatin proteome occupancy and epigenetic fingerprints. The investigators found that lymphoma ctDNA and other cell-free DNA differed in both length and in fragmentation profiles between individual patients. Furthermore, end-of-therapy cell-free DNA profiles varied between cured and relapsing patients, suggesting that fragmentation patterns might be used to predict relapse. They were able to establish proof of concept using machine-based learning that fragmentation profiles can complement evaluation of minimal residual disease for prognostic evaluation. Finally, the investigators used ctDNA to identify tumor-specific genotypes. They observed associations between TP53 mutations and high ctDNA levels, while TP53 mutations were a surrogate for poor overall survival. 
In MICK BCL2 double hit lymphomas, primary refractoriness was characterized by TP53 loss alongside high ctDNA levels pretreatment, suggesting that pretreatment ctDNA burden may inform prognosis. In a commentary, David M. Kurtz of Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, said that this research, quote, adds to the growing body of evidence that circulating tumor DNA can provide useful prognostic information prior to treatment, assess molecular response at interim time points, and residual disease at the end of therapy, as well as identify tumor-specific mutations. Kurtz said the findings illustrate how ctDNA is not a single assay, but rather an analyte that can reveal multiple dimensions of a tumor. Tumor burden, response to therapy, and underlying biological or molecular differences in disease are all factors elucidated by ctDNA analysis that may be actionable biomarkers for targeted treatments. Currently, the precise role of ctDNA in the clinic remains to be defined. ctDNA may find its niche as a minimal residual disease type test or might be used in routine clinical evaluation to help characterize the tumor genome or epigenome. Kurt said ctDNA may become a common thread throughout the patient journey to augment or even replace standard pathology or imaging techniques. More prospective studies are needed, but the issue of using ctDNA for routine evaluation of these lymphomas is probably not a matter of if, but of when. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.